afternoon, and welcome to another episode of the Worthy for 30 podcast, where I, Eric Tash, your host, speaks with industry leaders who are doing good while doing well. With me today is a longtime friend, someone who everyone should know, especially coming out of this podcast, is John Roth, who's the SVP of Brand Partnerships at United Masters Translations and Stashed. Just learned about Stashed before, just before we started recording. So, John, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I figured I'd be guest like 150, so I'm I'm honored to be this high up the list. No, 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 no. You're definitely you're definitely in the where should we you know in the early aughts of the Worthy for Thirty podcast and have John on the show. Uh, John, you and I have known each other since your days living here in the New York area in New York City, and now you're based in San Francisco. The way I used to, uh, used to or how I like to start these uh, conversations is really hearing from you about your career journey and progression. I know you've had a pretty exciting journey to date and I'd love for you to fill everyone in. Yeah, I mean, exciting or kind of super weird, right? It's kind of been a little bit all over the place. I think when I was coming out in 2008, nobody wanted to hire a creative with portfolio of work that I was very proud of, creative work for the Sons and Mercury, the Wyden Kennedys and BBDOs of the world thought differently. And obviously coming out in a recession was tough. So pivoted my career towards the media side of the world and understanding how TV media works and then product and tech media works and digital media works was all kind of this semblance of a journey towards getting back to my creative side. But the good thing and good lessons I learned during that time, whether it was a dish or even advice was sort of my superpower really resides around finding resources for creative individuals. And so again, in hindsight, I can kind of summarize my career based on every step led up to learning that. Whether I knew it at the time or not, I'm not sure. But that's kind of been the the consistent through line is that I love creativity. I love cultural outputs. I've been in the world ingesting them in various ways, shapes and forms and following my curiosity. And what I've seen is that I love to empower those that create the things that I'm curious about. And that's kind of led me to, to kind of where I am today. Excellent. And it's funny you say, you know, like in hindsight, you didn't really see how these dots combine or culminate into where you are today. And it's kind of interesting, you know, you talk about through line, you know, when I'm talking to yourself and some of the other guests who've been on the Worthy for 30 podcast, it's really interesting to hear about the dots they've collected over time and looking backwards, like, wait, this does like at the time didn't really make sense. You know, I was working in media, but how does media combine with creative? How does creative work combine with working with artists and independent artists? So it's really interesting, right? Looking back, you know, the, the, the 15 plus years of your career to see, you know, all those, again, those, those dots in isolation may not have made sense to where you are today, but again, they've all helped you right to where you are today. Yeah, and I think people have a huge part of that. Listen, like I, I'm incredibly privileged to have my background and the, the resources and support that I've had coming up, but also the access to mentors and career guides. I've never gone kind of full like life coach style, but I have had more informal mentors over my career that have noticed the things that I'm good at and pointed out the things that I'm not so good at and luckily helped guide me in the right direction. So even if it was unconsciously taking the next step, it was done so through a collective effort of those around me. And so that was a, an incredibly important point in my career is understanding how to learn from every circumstance, no matter kind of what that circumstance is. Everyone has that moment where they hate their job, but always looking at what you can glean from that. And then another lesson I learned from the people around me was that a tangential move isn't necessarily a bad move. To move to a place where you can learn something new and do something different opens up your aperture for uh, creative ambition. 
That's no, super interesting. You talk about mentorship and, and people who've helped identify, you know, John, this is what you're really good at. This is, you know, some of your blind spots that you should be cognizant of. Now that you've, you've climbed, and I, and I don't say this in, in a glib manner, but have you climbed the, the ladder to where you are today as this SVP who's in charge of so much for United Master Translations and Stashed? How have you reciprocated what has been given to you to the people you work with? Yeah, I, I take a lot of the lessons that I learned throughout my career and, and try to implement them, not in the this is how to be successful phase, but I think the the general lessons that we as humans should lean into, right? And I mentioned curiosity. I think that's what fuels growth in creative industries. Trying to do net new things takes a level of curiosity. So my old boss at Vice, Ben Dietz, used to mandate essentially in a nice way that we read for an hour a day as much as possible, the things that are in our industry, outside of our industry, in the creative realms that we enjoy. So I try to pass that along to, to those that, that seek information from me. In addition, I think I learned so much from my internships, mo most importantly with the Phoenix Suns. Interns are a huge focus of mine. So I'm always constantly raising my hand. I just got an email today that I'm allowed to be an advisor for our intern class. So I'm incredibly honored to do that. I'm a huge fan. Not only do I work in youth culture, but I'm a huge fan of being able to learn from youth culture. And so therefore being able to support interns as much as possible, pay your interns as well, is really important to make sure that we kind of have that development process in tandem with sort of more formalized versions of mentorship. Gotcha. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's super interesting. In terms of the, the mentorship and the ability to dispense you know, what you've learned over time to the people who are coming up, you know, whether they're interns or entry level, you know, sticking with United Masters, you know, you're working with independent artists. And I'd be remiss not to mention, you know, the, the person that you're working with, Steve Stout, is a legend in the in the industry. And it's what's, what's funny, before we even got on, this, on the call or the, the recording today is, Back when I was working at Buddy Media, the CEO at the time, Mike Lazaro, was a big fan of Steve Stout. You know, when Steve Stout's book came out, The Tending of America, you know, he was a very big proponent of the people in the organization to read it, to really understand how do you reach this consumer who, again, we don't we no longer live in this binary world of race and ethnicity and background. You know, you need to talk to people like people and you talk about youth culture. So what have you, you know, the, the years that you've been with the organization working with Steve, like what, what are some of the lessons and insights that he's dispensed to you to, again, take uh, your responsibility uh, to the next level? Yeah, I think from my perspective, we kind of have an inverse journey, Stout and I, right? Like I, we mentioned earlier that I kind of look back to connect the red thread of my career and kind of piece that together. Stout has been running with the same vision for, for well over two to three decades, right? He quickly unlocked through a process and a famous story he tells about Will Smith and Ray-Ban sunglasses and Men in Black, the force that is cultural capital begetting financial capital. Push forward that idea of the Tanning of America consistently over time. And he hasn't changed his vision in, in decades. What he has changed is the applications in which he brings that vision to life. And, and so I think that's the most kind of strongest lesson I've learned from Stout is that when you have locked on to something and you know it's right and people are telling you that you're crazy, that should drive you even harder and drive you even further. And so that's what I've learned in the last couple of years of he's right. Cultural capital is the strongest driver of financial capital in our society today. And right now there's a creative paradox happening. And so therefore, for us to, quote unquote, win, 
we just need to push forward on that same mission. And so that's that consistency of vision is something that I've really taken to heart from him over the last two and a half years I've been working for him. Mm, excellent. And, and in terms of your, your role specifically, you're working with big brands, partner with the independent artists that are on the United Masters platform. Can you speak more to that and in terms of what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. So our platform, so United Masters is home to 1.7 million artists to come and do everything from distribute their music, use creator tools to better their music, as well as what my team's role is, is to broker brand partnerships for independent artists. As we all know, we all see on our Instagram feeds, our TikTok feeds, brands and artists, it's hand in hand part of the journey of becoming a successful career driven artist. And what we want to prove and what we set out to prove is that just because you go independent does not mean that the biggest brands in the world are going to be remiss in avoiding you and, and not in your career path. And so we bring the biggest brands in the world to the doorstep of independent artists as a community and then unlock individual actions through that. And so a couple of examples of that are we measure programs on impact, right? So we work with Bullet Bourbon under the Diageo portfolio to bring mentorship to artists in sync licensing, performing, and writing, right? So it's all about how do we broker meaningful partnerships through brands to independent artists that they normally wouldn't have access to. Because at the end of the day, all we broker as a company to independent artists is preparedness and optionality. And what I mean by that is when success hits, when you get that royalty check going from $300 to $300,000, how are you prepared to take advantage of that increase in capital? When your fan base grows, when you have a touring opportunity, ensuring that at any step of your artistic journey, you're prepared for that next step. That's one portion of what our company does and what my team does through the brand partnerships. The other piece of it is optionality, right? Big brands bringing big checks create options because if you own your master's, if you own your name and image and likeness, you have options in how you actually proliferate that capital into more capital. And so therefore, that's sort of the ways in which we work, preparedness and optionality, to bring independent artists to break through and innovate more. Because the more options you have, the more prepared you are, the more you can actually push culture as opposed to proliferate the various fringes of culture together do the same as everyone else. Gotcha. So, so again, pairing brands and, and independent artists in an authentic manner where it makes sense for both parties. Cause it's not like bull of bourbon. is just like slapping a label on an independent artist on, on their tour. And it's like, call it a day. They're trying to, okay, what are some of those, what, what is some of that, that, that commonality? Like where can we really insert ourselves where, you know, a, a fan of that specific artist sees the bullet bourbon and, and its likeness and collateral think to themselves, okay, this does make sense. Like bullet bourbon is, is being a, a, not just a conduit, but helping unlock something for that artist. And the artist in, in, in return is also unlocking something for bullet bourbon where again, where it makes sense for both camps audiences. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, that brings up the, the major crux of our partnerships, right? And that is that we measure our success with our brand partners on sh the shared exchange of value, meaning that we'll tell Bullet and the Diageo platform, you've worked with 80 artists over the course of X, Y, and Z months. Of those 80 artists, you've increased their streams by 30x. You've increased their social following and therefore their monetizable fan base by 15, 20x. Their Spotify followers, their tour bookings. So we take these milestones and put them back into the brand conversation. So not only is the brand getting reach, impressions, engagement, relevance, awareness, but they're also unlocking the value, right? We Another lesson I learned from Stout is that you have to tell the story of your mission through the lens of marketing, meaning that 
I go to brands and I say, by simply licensing music, by simply engaging with our talent, having artists perform, building a platform for music, doing all the things that marketers do every day, by doing it through independent artists, you're making, in, making an impact with those marketing dollars. And so if we start reporting back on that and that becomes our KPI, shared exchange of value, you then start to see, oh, I'm doing nothing different, but my impact is being felt more readily and, and more deep. No, it's uh, that it, it is really super interesting. Again, that, that shared that shared value exchange. You know, sticking with this whole concept of brand and, and independent artists, and what's really interesting is that the the own it's not even the onus. It's really the the power is back in the artist's hands because in 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 years past, you know, an artist would be at the mercy of a record label, and the record label would act as like a pseudo venture capital firm where you need legal help, you need accounting help, you need distribution help, you need tour help. You know, come to us, we're like the one stop shop. But it really wasn't you know a two way street. Here, it's the uh, the artist, you know, with their talent and with their their catalog of music and owning their masters, you know, coming to United, United Masters to say, okay, how can I unlock and have that optionality to really um, carve my own path and my own destiny, have, have more control over my musical destiny or my artistic destiny. What do you say, like taking a step back and really looking at the landscape of media and creatives, like looking at someone like Ryan Reynolds, for example, like when you're talking about optionality, you know, you look at Ryan Reynolds with Aviation Gin and looking at Re Rexham FC of like, here's here are two media properties. Like, yes, Rexham is a professional football team in Wales and here's Aviation Gin, which is a spirits brand, but you know, it's not like, again, it's not Aviation Gin's logo being slapped onto Wrexham's jersey. So I'd love for you to speak to someone like Ryan Reynolds, who's really, you know, trying to understand the cultural norms of the different parties he's trying to combine and collaborate with. And I, I know I'm using him as, an, in a, as a specific example, but is it safe to say that this is where the ball is moving in terms of partnerships? Yeah, listen, I think it's it's part of the hope. Right. I think the, there's a beautiful report that was put out by the zine Substack that really talks about the creative paradox that's happening right now. It's the top down pressures of gatekeepers and labels and, and systems that are in place and the bottom up groundswell of unbelievable amounts of creativity. What I think someone like Orion Reynolds has, right, is he has the safety net having had mainstream success that unlocks creative innovation that breaks through. Because I think that's the hardest part, right? Is that you can do very innovative things. And the, this report goes through the, the sort of pillars of why some fringe creatives aren't successful in this current system because of sort of the, the mainstreamification and, and race to the common denominator. He does a really good job of playing in both worlds. And so I think that while... I love that example, and I hope there's an element of that that continues. I still think that we live in this bit of creative stalemate where re-innovation is happening, but true innovation is not happening. And so I think it's interesting to kind of pair these pieces together and see how they incorporate. But I'm, I'm much more interested in the more we can encourage ownership of your art form and generational wealth in that IP, you can then bring more net new innovation to life rather than simply repackaging the things that we already know exist. Interesting. You say generational wealth. There's like a, there's a cultural implication. There's a racial implication. Because I imagine, again, when you have that ownership and you have that ability to, to pass down what you built 
over generations, you know, you're helping reduce the, the, the wealth disparity in the United States. And the reason why I bring this up, I had Aubrey Flynn, who is Sean Combs' right-hand digital man, a guy for 10 plus years. And he's gone on to build his own technology platform for small business owners. Cause his objective is if I can get 30,000 small business owners on my platform, the goals media platform, I can help empower them to build their businesses with technology, which again, provides ownership, which provides gener generational wealth, which in invariably shrinks the, the wealth gap. So it sounds like you and it sounds like your team are very, very aware of that impact that you guys are, ha uh, are having. Are, are, is that, is that being quantified? I know that you have your specific brand partnership KPIs, but in terms of the cultural impact, in the macro cultural impact, again, about reducing the wealth disparity in the United States, is that is that something that's that's talked about a lot within uh, within the organization? Yeah, it's on the front four slides of our our go to market and our cred deck, right? So I think one of the things that John Green and our CMO Chaucer Barnes really worked with us on is how to bring this message to life, and I think that. We're not necessarily putting quantifiable metrics against this is where we want to get to. What we're trying to do is instill behavior in every aspect of artistry, as well as the partners that kind of delay themselves into that artistry. And what I mean by that is that if you look at creating a song, it has never been easier in the history of humanity to create a song and put it out to the world. And that goes for any media, really video, books, whatever have you. It's never been easier to create those things. What's still gatekept and hard to do is understanding that even though the creative toolkit is vast and expansive, the entrepreneurial to toolkit to match that creative toolkit, woefully missing from the conversation. And I think that's where we try to fill those gaps, right? And so we, as a music platform, we also know our strengths, we know our weaknesses. That's where the partnerships start to come in and bringing in complementary partners to do things and fit into that artist journey where we may not necessarily have either the place to be there or the resources to be there, or we just know that there are people that do it better than us and we want them to come in and really help the artist space. And so it's much more about how do we create a holistic toolkit? Because we talk a lot about how there's been a huge spike. Every We consider every one of our artists who logs onto our platform as a small business. There's a huge spike within the cohort, not only just them, but the entire generation, registrations for LLCs. There's, it matches perfectly with the, the up and to the right hockey stick of the Google search results for how do I start my own LLC. And so our goal is to not only close the gap between those who search and those who do, but also enable them to make that a successful endeavor with all the education and partners they can possibly have. And at the end of the day, we want them to create more music. We want them to get their art form into the world. We want them to have their business be the easiest thing that they do all day and doing the next thing in music be the toughest challenge that they can accomplish. Right. That's, that's pretty amazing. Cause it's, cause it's funny, like as you're ta talking about, like the entrepreneurial toolkit is missing from the creative process. Like, again, they're a small business owner using your words. They're, they, these independent artists are small business are small businesses, not even owners. They're small businesses. And you're really helping them for that. Uh, I like to say the zero to one step in the, in the journey of how do I set up an LLC where do I incorporate? Where, how do I set up my, my bank account? It's super interesting. I was watching a clip of Chameleon Air, actually, how he had a conversation with Jay-Z and how Jay-Z is like, did you look at the contract that you signed with the record label? And Chameleon Air is like, because of that conversation with Jay-Z, I was able to renegotiate and I, and I uh, close to a million dollars in my first deal. And that's when they like the light bulb like turned on. It's like, okay, I need to educate myself, but I also need the tools uh, to do this. Because again, I'm a, I'm a, a business uh, as an artist. 
And then I think I'm pretty sure it's like, okay, how do I spread the word? How do I also educate other artists who are up and coming? So they have the know-how and the, the education of what to look out for. So they are maximizing their business. And again, I'm at the same time, again, focusing on the creative output, because that, again, that's at the end of the day, you have these fans who are waiting. It's bated breath. Okay. When's the next song going to drop? One of my favorite hip hop artists is Dave Bird, Little Dicky, who on Dave FX, FXX, one of the top rated shows, he hasn't put out a new album since 2015, but he gets millions of streams putting out Dave's soundtrack at the end of, I think the end of this summer. So it's like also super interesting, again, creating this platform, creating that two-way between the, the, the fan and the artist. If you're, if you're an independent artist who's listening to this conversation, like what would be that pitch to that independent artist to say, okay, you should check out United Masters instead of going that conventional route? I, I think it goes back to the preparedness and optionality bit. To, for the most part, right? I think our A&R team has a much better pitch for uh, for how they go after artists and and sort of their recent successes show themselves with Big X and the Brent Fias deal to actually showcase independence as a legitimate way to forego the label advances. It really comes down to that same bit of education. We want to make sure that you have the faculties that are going to progress your art form as well as the infrastructure that will advance your capital raise. And so that's, to me, the, the biggest thing, but it all really goes down to that preparedness and optionality. I think independence needs to get to in the next iteration of independence. Now, we've really buzzword last year. It was five years ago, thought of as a renegade or a, a flash in the pan, or maybe one artist could do it. Approaching a point where independently owned IP is going to overpass major label owned IP on certain streamers, right? So like, it's becoming more and more of a thing. I think to progress that conversation as an independent artist, to progress your career, we need to break a little bit down the myth that independence means by yourself. And I think that it doesn't help that there are really no more collectives anymore. I mean, you, you and I talk about sort of now what's old school hip hop to us. Um, but you think about the collectives that existed. I mean, when you think about Rough Riders and obviously about them a lot because my is rough but you talk about rough riders that was a collective of individuals that came together due to shared resource exchange people had things that other people didn't and they used that to collectively grow what we're seeing now in independent music and the diy creator economy is that people are doing things very much by themselves instead of five people and you lift up a, a garage door and you see a band you walk into a kid's room and you see a solo person buying beats from an unknown source somewhere, putting them onto his lyrics and then putting it out into the world. And so the next iteration of independence, in, in my opinion, and what we're trying to do and bring more community together, and that's why we've moved into the event space, is to have that realization that independence is not a solo journey. There are collaborators all around you. There are support systems all around you. The, the fact of the matter is, if you look at the billboard charts and you look at artists today, it's it's one name. It's, there's not really kind of groups that come, come together anymore. There's a couple of articles about how bands are no longer part of the billboard charts. It's all individuals with bands behind them. And so there, there's this iteration of if I go out to an independent artist, and again, my music team is a much more succinct pitch for them to join our group. But I think in terms of what I think and the partners that we're trying to bring in to support independent artists, it's about how can we create that collective infrastructure, whether it's in human capital or financial capital or simply tech and resources to get them to that next level, to have them understand that independence doesn't mean that you're out there on an island. Right, right, right. There's, there, there, there are people behind you to, to, to help you on your path. 
you know, it, it's it's interesting because again, it's independence was a, you know again you say renegade or it's like this disruptive term, independent artist. You know, you look at other disruptions in you know in the world. Let's use ride sharing. I know this is not this is apples to oranges in terms of music to Uber. Like what like what are you trying to get at, Eric? But what's interesting is that with disruption, there's also a regression to the mean. Is you know everybody was like, okay, ride sharing, great, but now everybody opens up their Uber app and it's like fifty dollars to go less than a mile. Why don't I just hail a cab? Like, wait, but you were so gung ho about you know opening up your phone and finding and finding someone to come to you to drive you to to your destination. Do you think there's going to be with all the disruption in the music industry and the and how artists are going to market? Is it? Do you think there's going to be a regression back to conventional labels or to what are to comfort or do you think this is here to stay it's just going to continue to iterate and evolve and if and as it does what does real innovation look like that's a big question to be honest i think real innovation is hard to pinpoint right i think right now there's an analysis done and we use it in our, our cred stack as well is that sort of the the number of weeks that an artist spends charting has dropped from an average of 20 to an average of two meaning that the speed of culture is moving so incredibly fast that fame itself is reimagined. The same names that we've talked about previously are not the ones that we continue to talk about. And even when they are the same names, it's in much, much shorter clips. And so I think what we start to think about and peel back that, that narrative, innovation and disruption is inherent in the music industry. They're typically laggards in some areas, but also culturally leaders in others. And so I think that when the pendulum swings back and forth, it really is sort of that connection to the culture and consumer demand that has the determining factor of how far it swings back or how far it swings forward. So with the, the regards to labels, I mean, the infrastructure is going to be there. We're not necessarily saying that labels are the worst things in the world and they serve no purpose and they don't have certain bits of infrastructure that are incredibly valuable to certain artists. What we're saying is that in order to truly move the middle, which when you move the middle, you actually create tangible long-term change and disruption and innovation that you're talking about, you need options and you need options that empower rather than constrain. So I think that that's sort of our viewpoint on it, definitely my personal viewpoint on it, is how can we progress that optionality as opposed to looking backwards and saying, how can we fix what is there? Right. How do, you, how do you empower the optionality? How do you how do you work at the speed of culture and allow and enable your, your the artists on the platform to to work and to and to create at the speed of culture where it makes sense for the people who are who are receiving or, or listening to the art being developed in real time, which is which is pretty amazing. You know, one thing that I want to to end our conversation on is you know you've been in the brand partnership space for a while here at United Masters Translations and stashed. Previously, you know, Vice has been in the news you know, in terms of and what's what was unique about Vice and you can I, I know you can speak better to this than I the the first person first person narrative. How is that? So in terms of like that first person narrative about telling a story from the first person vantage point, are we going to see, you know, especially now, you know, with what you're doing, you know, with again, working with independent artists, much more of this, you know, again, this this first person narrative, not just seeing like the end product, but seeing, you know, all the steps involved from that first person of vantage point and narrative. And how is that? And can that be again, packaged similar to Vice and how they package stories packaged into some sort of like, you know, going back to Ryan Reynolds, like 
is, is there like a documentary that can be developed like on on the same plane as I don't know the Last Waltz, which was about the band and how they're they're again you talk about a band that came together and and developed magic. Are we going to see a lot more of that? I would think so because again, people are always you know interested to see okay what what's happening behind closed doors. Yeah, storytelling is dramatic hits to the system in the last five, six years. I think my time at Vice was some of the best of my career. I worked with the most creative individuals I've, I've ever worked with, and they're all going out and doing amazing things. And old coworker, Andrew Cordian, put out a, a call that this might not be the end for Vice, but it might be the shakeup that it really needs. So hoping for the best there. But from a storytelling perspective, What's beautiful about the world of music is that it is narrative-based. It's it's self-driven narrative-based. Whether you're talking about characters that you develop, like MF Doom did, whether you're talking about yourself in ways in which you're proliferating your own character, like a Charles Gambino, Donald Glover situation, there, there are ways in which narrative and storytelling are inherently throughout music. What has changed is the value that we place on that storytelling, the time we're willing to spend on that storytelling. And so from the standpoint of the artist... I would say the future evolution of that storytelling is going to be the ownership of the audience. Meaning that right now you are storytelling as an artist or anyone, any of us, we're storytelling on platforms that we don't actually have control over. The more ownership we as creators take of the people that enjoy our creation, create more relationships that are not necessarily directly resource intensive, but are more direct in terms of the communication patterns then you have the ability to actually push storytelling into new ways. So I don't know what the format's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a back to the Vice Doc days. I don't know if it's going to be a continued evolution of short form. I'm not the one who makes those decisions. The creatives are. What I can tell you is that the better you can create a relationship with your community, your fan base, better storytelling you're going to be able to unlock and bring people into the storytelling. And I think that's the one thing that Vice truly succeeded at was that you felt like you were in the story because you were watching it through the lens of someone who's experiencing the story. And I think that as everyone has that lens, that lens is no longer only available to the Vice medias of the world. It's available to every creator possible. The next evolution has to be how is that relationship of we're here together deepened in meaningful ways. And obviously you still have to scale it because a thousand true fans theory is only as good as a few people can monetize it. It needs to be a little more than a thousand. Let's not forget that the artist should be out there creating, not necessarily doing CRM management. And so there's a little bit of a push and pull there. But to me, this future of storytelling has that duality of relationship between owning my community, owning my fan base, and directly participating with them in efforts to tell grander narratives. That's pretty amazing. And again, I'm really excited. I imagine the people who are going to be listening to this conversation are really excited to see this evolution. John, for uh, for the people who are interested in learning more about your work at United Masters, how can they reach you? Last name's Ruff, R-U-G-H at unitedmasters.com. Nice and simple. There's a lot of Johns in our company, so we had to all go last names. But yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing that what you're doing here. I really appreciate you having me on. I think it's amazing to see how all of the people in the world are able to impact the world in better ways. And what I learned late in my career that I hope people learn from your project and your podcast is no matter what you do, even if it's not an, a nonprofit, it can impact the world in, in net positive ways. And so just always look out for jobs and companies that are may not be on a mission, but have mission inherently within them. Uh, thank you. No, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the feedback. A lot of gems, as I like to say, a lot of insights that were dispensed throughout. 
So as John mentioned, Roth at UnitedMasters.com for any any questions or anything that you know he may have said that sounds interesting that you want to learn more about, please reach out to him. John, again, thank you very much for your time. Very appreciative. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Keep going, brother. Thank you.